Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. Ramasamy, who by his sound of his name is hails from India. And he's a cardiologist there and he's doing some very innovative work. I've had the pleasure of meeting him personally at the uh, ACIM uh, annual event in Orlando last year. That's uh, the Academy of Comprehensive and Integrative Medicine. And, and I had a chance to attend his talk there and it was really good. And I wanted him to share this information with you because it offers such a valuable and basically ignored resource in the treatment and prevention of one of the most uh, common causes of death in the United States, heart disease. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Dr. Ramasamy. Thank you, thank you, So uh, you've been doing this for a while and how did you get interested in this? Uh, for Well, let's, let's talk about what the form of therapy is. Why don't you introduce us to it? keep people uh, uh, will uh, eliminate the surprise and, and tell them what it is. Okay. So as you asked me, I came to U.S. I think in 1998 as a resident. Mm -hmm. And I, as soon as I came, I started working in a research project which was just ongoing in U.S. It's called EECP, Enhanced mm -hmm. External Counterpulsation. And we all know about when you have coronary artery disease or cardiac disease, you have multiple options which is already there. And you have medical management, and if the medical management fails, and then you go for an angiogram, and if they through the angiogram, they were able to find out how many blocks you have in your coronary arteries. And based on the blocks, either you'll be a candidate for a bypass surgery or an angioplasty. But what people don't know is another option called the <coughs> that enhanced external counterpulsation. It's well, absolutely, yeah. Excuse me for a second. There's also another option, a stent, which I think has been proven in some recent multivariate, not multivariate, uh, yeah, multivariate analysis to be, not be effective at all. So, <laughs> so alternative, to, alternative to the bypass with the angioplasty. Now, yes, do, you, do you do any of those procedures? Are you an interventional cardiologist? No, I'm a non-invasive cardiology. I think I'm specialized in uh, heart failure management. A heart failure management, okay. Uh, so I was talking with various options, like as, as you correctly said, angioplasty, which is a plain old angioplasty, or they may use a stent, which can be a biomatic stent, or a, a drug eluding stent, or a, a biodegradable stent. These are all the type of stents they've been using for patients with angina. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, there is another option for this patient called EECP, and what does EECP actually does? EECP in this current modality of a treatment is the only treatment which is absolutely a non-invasive way of treating the same cardiac disease without intervention. At the same time, this treatment can able to significantly increase the blood flow across your blocked artery. So the heart muscle can get more blood supply without you actually going for these invasive procedures like bypass surgery and angioplasty. That is wonderful. It's my understanding that this procedure will actually is as actually an alternative to coronary bypass because rather than creating a new graft where there's one, two, three, even four vessels that they graft in, you're getting multiple vessels, tens, probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of tiny vessels that provide as much, if not more, volume of blood to supply the heart. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that because that's that seems to be one of the principal benefits of this approach. Yes, uh, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, I would say it's not about thousand. I think there are millions of collaterals or small vessels 
And in fact, the main vessels where they get the graft or the stent, it only contributes to 30 to 40% of the blood supply to the heart. So the vast majority of the 60% are actually supplied by these vessels called microvessels. And these are in millions. So when we do ECP, actually what is going to happen is we are not going to increase the blood supply only in the area which is required the blood supply, but into the entire cardiac muscle. So it's, it's not specific to the ischemic area. It, it globally increases the blood supply across your heart muscle. So these billions of collaterals can actually can replace the blood flow where there is a deficient because of the main vessel is blocked. So that's a, that's a great thing about the ECP. It's non-invasive and it's going to significantly increase the blood flow by using a microvascular circulation profoundly much better than the main vessel can able to supply. Okay, so, and there's many, many other benefits and, and hopefully we'll have a chance to discuss them today. But what I want you to do now is describe and we'll, we'll seek to put in some pictures and photographs because it's difficult to visualize it. But if you can describe mechanically what's going on because many people have never heard of ECP. And, and there's actually, it's there's two names for it as I understand. It's EECP, as you mentioned, which is a sort of a, a trademark term from Basil Medica and the more generic term, which is ECP, which is a, a, a wider variety of companies providing the equipment. So why don't you discuss that? Yes, I think EECP is a trademark of one company called Vaso Medical. Mm -hmm. ECP is actually the concept. Right. So what we are talking is actually ECP, it's the concept of counterpulsation. And you asked me, how does the ECP perform? So during the treatment, the patients are asked to lie down on a treatment table, which has a valve system. So what they do is they wrap your uh, lower limb, your calf, lower thigh, and upper thigh region with the blood pressure-like cuff. And then you are hooked up to an EKG machine. So what actually happens is the machine is going to read your EKG beat by beat. So synchronizing your heart rate with the machine. So exactly during the particular phase of the cardiac cycle called the diastolic phase, what happens is the cuff inflate with a pressure of around 260 to 300 millimeter mercury pressure. When this amount of pressure is given in the lower limb, so it goes sequentially, the lowermost part, the cap goes first, and then your lower uh, upper thigh, and the lower thigh and upper thigh. So when it sequentially inflates, it pushes the blood from the leg towards the heart. And uh, when I say it compresses the lower limb, it compresses actually two compartments. One is a venous compartment, another one is an arterial compartment. So when the arterial compartment is compressed, the blood goes in the reverse direction, and it is in timed in such a way that your main valve, the aortic valve is closed. So the blood can directly root it into the coronary arteries, which is uh, arising from the root of the aorta. So basically what it does is it increases almost two to three times the blood supply to the coronary artery. So similar to what an active or what an anaerobic exercise can do. So basically you must be, the, your heart must be thinking you're performing like a six kilometer of fast running. So that much of blood is increasing into your coronary circulation. At the same time, I said, it also compresses the venous return and increases the blood return to the heart. And in fact, it increases the cardiac output. So these two functions are very important. Increasing blood flow to the coronary artery is helpful for patients who have ischemia or blockage in the coronary artery. And it is helpful to patients in heart failure because it's going to increase the cardiac output. So this procedure is done every day for one hour, consecutively five days or six days a week. So it goes up to six to seven weeks continuously. 
or in some patient, it can be also performed twice a day. So the treatment can be cut short and completed in almost a three weeks time. So this instrument, uh, it really is remarkable. And uh, let's get into some of the technical details now of someone how uh, they can avail themselves to this because there are clinicians and not necessarily cardiologists. So there's certainly a number of cardiologists in the United States that offer this service, but you can go to websites and we'll try to put, put some links in here where you can sign up for clinicians and have this treatment done. Now, as I understand the United States, uh, it is a Medicare covered and insurance covered uh, treatment if you have the diagnosis of angina coronary artery disease resulting in angina, then it's covered. And if you're not, it's still a lot better approach because the typical, you need about 35 treatments and it requires, it's typically about $5,000 in the average. It could be a little more, could be less. It's unusual for to be run out of that range, but that's typically what the 35 treatments cost. And that's going to provide the results for about five years or so, I would think. So why don't you expand on that? Yes, I think... Uh... Uh, when ECP is introduced in U.S., I think it got FDA approved in 92, and I think Medicare got approved in 96. And ECP is introduced in U.S. as a, for a no-option patient. In the case, uh, a patient should have coronary artery disease, and they should be declared they are not amendable for the standard interventional procedures like bypass surgery and angioplasty. So when these patients are end stage, when they are not able to perform, when they are not able to undergo these interventional procedures, then they are allowed to undergo EECP as a loss resort procedure. And that's what the indication in U.S. is. And so it's a refractive angina alone. But when we took this treatment to India, we have a wide variety of patients who can able to get this treatment. In fact, the insurance companies in India came forward and allow us to do this treatment, even in patients with heart failure and also as a primary treatment for patients with angina. So here in India, the indication is a little bit different. They said, if you have a patient who have a proven coronary artery disease, so by certain investigational procedures like a treadmill or like a, a echocardiography, or it has a history of a heart attack, they can directly go to EECP rather than waiting for a bypass surgery or angioplasty or come to EECP after the failure of angioplasty and bypass surgery. So that's, a, that's an expansion of this uh, indication in India which help us to expand this treatment modality much faster than what we have been done in U.S. And I think this treatment has a great potential not only in angina, but also in heart failure and also as a primary treatment. Yeah, and I first became aware of this in the mid-90s, and I was very skeptical because it seemed, you know, why would you uh, embrace this approach when you could just exercise? So I want you to address this because in many ways, this is a type of exercise, but it's an exercise that is absolutely impossible for you to reproduce yourself. You just cannot do it. The physics and biomechanics don't allow it. So why don't you uh, help us understand the difference between this and exercise and why my initial impression of this was so seriously mistaken? Uh, it's a very interesting question that you, you just said. If I could do exercise, why would I go to EECP and try to improve my collaterals when exercise has clearly shown that it can also improve the collaterals? Uh, number one, uh, when we treat a cardiac patient, most of these patients are so sick, they cannot even walk like three, four minutes without chest pain. So probably they have a foot angina or exertional angina. 
even a minor increase in exercise they significantly get adrenal pain so this group of patient obviously you cannot push them to do an exercise and even if you push them to do an exercise they may not able to achieve more than 3 to 4 minutes on the walking so basically this group of patients who cannot exercise ecg is a good option and i will also add up another thing i mean you you compare ecg with exercise that's a good comparison but let's say like somebody who is not athletic or they have not been trained you put them on a sudden increase in exertion in the case like you ask them to run maybe like a kilometer or like a mile or like a kilometer what happens really is if they're not trained to do so the heart rate increases and the blood pressure shoots up so basically the heart is trying to pump so hard because of the increased pressure and heart rate probably the effect of exercise won't reach them because they are going to struggle by increasing their exercise but when you do exercise the opposite happens it keeps your blood pressure down in fact during ecg because it relaxes your vessels your systolic pressure goes down and your heart rate are kept constant so by keeping your blood pressure down and a heart rate constant you are only increasing the blood flow to the coronary so you're getting a maximum benefit of what an exercise can do without actually doing an exercise so it's a kind of a passive exercise which can be given for anybody so this is an advantage of ecg in both a cardiac patient and also a non cardiac patient who are not uh, doing a regular exercise but even from the physics and biomechanical perspective exercise will never cause that pressure to increase during the diastolic or the resting phase of the heart and pump the blood up it just cannot do that and that's yeah. the magic of ecp because during that diastole when you have this return that increase to the essentially pushes the blood in and massively increases the number of collateral vessels in the heart now exercise will do that but you got to be healthy to do that and it's still not going to work in that mechanism it just won't it's a totally different approach to improving collateral circulation yes of course because as you correctly said see our body has been adapted in such a way you have a systole so the blood pressure goes let's say let's say the normal blood pressure is 120 over 80 so in 120 is a systole all the organ gets a maximum blood supply and when the diastole comes the blood pressure falls across the organ so what happens is in ecp is an opposite so during the systolic phase because as i said the increased cardiac output all the organ gets a maximum blood supply and also during the diastolic phase because of the cuff compression you get an again a second increased blood supply so basically during ecp you're getting a dual blood supply rather than the single blood supply depending for the systolic phase yes so when you get a series of treatments which is typically as we mentioned 35 treatments uh typically over the course of uh seven weeks maybe five treatments a week for seven weeks uh how long is that treatment good for um usually if it's a cardiac patient by the time they reach the 15th to 20th session they they simply feel better because i think by 15 to 20 session there is a collateralization start happening and also when you do ecp because of the sheer stress of increased flow across the entire vascular system your blood your your body response or the endothelial cell which is lining your blood vessel it responds this because of the sheer stress by secreting a lot of growth hormones and also very importantly the nitric oxide and we have seen in a lot of trials the nitric oxide level shoots up 3 to 4 times the normal value and because of that the patient even if they are a cardiac patient there is a severe vasodilatation can happen across the body so that shows the patient symptom drastically comes down and the collateral circulation started taking place so after 20 session the another 20 session after 15 session 
The another 20 sessions are given as a maintenance and the sense that whatever the improvement in collateral happens, it has to become a permanent conduit. So when you do the uh, treatment for a long period of time, up to 35 sessions, all these new vessels become a permanent conduit. So even if up, stop, after you stop the treatment, the benefit has been shown to long after about up to five years. And I want to make it really clear here that ECP is not is not a magic bullet. It's a very useful modality, a far safer, less expensive and superior treatment to angioplasty uh, or bypass. So it, it's again, not a magic bullet. It's used in addition to lifestyle changes so that you can optimize in a cyclical ketogenic diet and, and optimize your cholesterol ratios and uh, eventually get into an exercise program. So you know that, combined is a very powerful synergistic event so this is not something that's you know should be used by itself i mean it would be useful but it's i mean some a lot of people get bypasses done and they don't do a darn thing with their diet uh probably the majority of people they just can continue the same lifestyle and of course they they uh don't address the foundational causes that contribute to the cardiovascular disease and you and you do a good job with that too in fact your your wife who i had a chance to meet in orlando is also a big fan of mine she reads the newsletter all the time so it was interesting to, to connect with her and so you're you you and your family are very familiar with these approaches of course yes i mean she reads all your articles and actually she's following your diet <laughs> Yeah, she's really healthy, no question. So um, now why don't we take a, a venture off and not necessarily focus as much on the cardiovascular disease, although it probably is the most important component. It has many other benefits. It's really useful to uh, view this modality as a form of passive exercise. And like exercise, it has many of the same benefits. When I was listening to your presentation, I didn't realize it actually decreases insulin resistance and is useful for the treatment of diabetes. So why don't you expand about the and, and then peripheral artery disease too, not just coronary artery disease? Of course, there is a, a increased attention as given to ECP as a primary treatment or a preventive care. For example, we have seen in patients with the glucose intolerance. So the, these, these are the group of patients. They are not considered normal or they are diabetic, they are in between. So the blood sugar level is much more than what it's supposed to be. And when we put them on EECP, it actually reverses them back to normal. So that's a fantastic finding because what happened is it significantly reduced both the fasting as well as the postprandial blood sugar level very much down. So this now these patients are considered normal. And we still don't know the exact mechanism of how it can able to reduce the insulin resistance or how it can able to uh, reverse the diabetic into normal. But what we believe is it, it, it's a form of an aggressive exercise. It has a tremendous effect to increase the blood flow to the pancreas and also it increases the uh, glucose utilization of the muscle, I mean, your skeleton muscle. Because when you put the cuff uh, inflate and deflate for 35 days, and somehow the receptors in the muscles are uh, stimulated and they can be able to absorb this blood sugar level in the circulation. So these people, their blood sugar level has a well is controlled. And also we have seen during our treatment, because as, we, as you know that we are giving the treatment to the cardiac patient, most of them are diabetic. And we have seen most of these patients who are thought of with EECP, they go for hypoglycemia. And we started to look into it and said, look like, why did the patient go for hypoglycemia? And we found out 
and because of ECT, the blood sugar level drastically drops, and we can able to stop most of the patient with their anti-diabetic drug, and we can able to reduce their insulin dosage also. It's, it's a very good finding, and also, you actually, as you're discussing, it's not only it's effective on blood sugar level, and it has also shown to reduce the bad cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and significantly increase the HDL cholesterol. I mean, you have statins, and uh, you know that statin can reduce your LDL level, but it won't increase your HDL level. And if you want to look at increasing the HDL level, either you have to do exercise, or probably you must be taking some uh, fish oil. But I think EECP is the first treatment modality which not only decrease your LDL, but significantly increase your HDL level also. Yeah, that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And as you mentioned earlier, the, one of your special subspecialties is heart failure. And yeah. so it's obviously very useful for that. And uh, just one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is that I actually incurred a cardiac injury, not as a result of coronary artery disease. My blood vessels and cholesterol ratios have been outstanding from all my adult life. But because of excessive exercise, I developed some dysfunction in my left ventricle. It's called left ventricular diastolic dysfunction. And as a result of that, I impaired, had impaired cardiac function, which is why I actually uh, purchased a used machine because it was just a lot easier for me to, to get the treatment that way rather than go to, you know, travel maybe an, up to an hour each way because I live in a relatively remote community. So I don't live near a large urban area, but these, most of these machines are in large urban areas. So it was easier for me to do that that way. But, and we'll, we'll seek to put a link in here for uh, clinicians who are watching this and are interested in providing this service to the local community. Because really one of the intentions of this interview is to, is to stimulate and catalyze an interest in this approach because it's so desperately needed. And we, you know, we really need a large number of clinicians out there offering this service to people so that they have an effective alternative and they don't have to go through the surgical option, which is almost invariably a disaster and certainly never addresses, addresses the fundamental cause. So why don't you, further expand on the uh, treatment with heart failure? Yes, I mean, uh, I think we had a discussion, Dr. Mercola, I think the diastolic dysfunction, it's, it's a very, very important and interesting aspect because most of them will think the heart function is reduced when the systolic function goes down. I mean, your number, which is supposed to be like 55 to 60 addition fraction, when it comes below 55 or below 50, they say there is a reduction in LV function. And we all know that. But the second thing which is very common is almost 50% is a diastolic dysfunction. We still don't have any medical management of treatment for this diastolic dysfunction. But EECP has shown a very good promise in initial studies. And we have good experience in this patient with diastolic dysfunction. How EECP helps them is because when you inflate and deflate the cuff, the deflation of the cuff significantly dilates your vessel. So what happens is the heart can able to easily pump into this dilated vessel. And when they easily pump the blood into the dilated vessel, the end diastolic pressure comes down. That's a very important parameter to assess your diastolic dysfunction. So the thickness of the uh, ventricle, so rather than relaxation is becoming very difficult, it can easily dilate. So this uh, diastolic dysfunction has shown to significantly improve the ECT. And second is heart failure. I mean, in U.S., it's a big epidemiological disaster. So what really happens is you have a lot of medical management for heart failure and device-oriented management. Uh, so they have able to improve the quality of life and decrease the mortality. 
but what they couldn't achieve is repeat rehospitalization so once a patient got admitted for heart failure and then the chances of them they getting repeat hospitalization in 30 days and 60 days is almost 30% to 50% it's a huge number for rehospitalization rate and we have shown and if they put them on ecp immediately after they come back after the after they got hospitalized their rehospitalization rate has dropped from 30 to 40% to only 6% so ecp is a very good treatment for heart failure because it improves the circulation to the myocardium and because it increases the blood supply to the myocardium the muscles can contract much better than before so it improves your lv function which is your ejection fraction and improves your quality of life and also able to reduce your rehospitalization rate and also the uh, improve your survival so the impact of ecp in heart failure is very tremendous and we have almost completed 2000 patient of heart failure in india I think soon you will come out the paper to show that it has a significant effect in patient with heart failure. That's great. Now, one of the side effects of heart failure physically is that it actually causes the left ventricle to enlarge, left ventricular hypertrophy. And I'm wondering, in your observations and treatments of people, uh, if that enlargement or the hypertrophy reduces with with the treatment. Yes, I mean uh, the one important thing in heart failure is, as you said, the enlargement of left ventricle. and many times uh, initially when ecp was introduced uh, in us heart failure is a contraindication uh, for ecp the reason is when you push the blood back into the heart if the heart is so weak it's not able to pump the blood outside the ventricle then what will happen is it develop a back pressure and then the the blood will go to the pulmonary artery and pulmonary vessel pressure increases and it actually causes pulmonary edema which was very common about 5 to 6% of these people who undergoes ecp actually end up with pulmonary edema but now with the uh, recent knowledge about this uh, hemodynamics central hemodynamics with a lot of papers coming out and we have devised i think uh, we got to put a manual on that we have devised a specific way to treat this heart failure patient with inflation and deflation timing so if you can able to understand the inflation and deflation timing Uh, clearly unable to apply in the heart failure patient they would have a significant improvement in cardiac output without worsening or without putting the patient on pulmonary edema that's great does, but does the enlargement of the left ventricle decrease yes i think uh, the one of the important factor which predict the outcome of heart failure is uh, your uh, end diastolic volume so if your end diastolic volume rather the ventricle is dilated then your uh, chances of mortality or repeat hospitalization is very high and we have shown which is already published uh, if you do 35 days of ecp treatment actually the end diastolic volume has significantly reduced so it shows the dilated heart can able to shrink little bit less it can have a little bit shrinkage so its contraction power increases and your repeat hospitalization and mortality probability will come down yes high blood pressure which we didn't mention before is another common disease which contributes to coronary artery disease and other cardiovascular diseases so it's more of a primary disease it doesn't have symptoms of course other than a elevated blood pressure reading which you know most people are monitoring regularly so how does this work for high blood pressure yes i mean um, as you know most of the patient who has a cardiac disease also have hypertension so when we're doing ecp most of them are on medical management for the hypertension but sometimes they still have uncontrolled blood pressure so they will be having like 160 or 150 uh, 
over 80 or 90. So when they were on ECT, every time when you complete one hour of session, when you measure the BP before the treatment and after one hour of completion of the treatment, there will be a drop in blood pressure about 15 to 10 millimeter mercury pressure. This was significant and you, you keep looking at it for a long period of time. And then there are some trials which have came up to show if you do ECT 35 days in patient with a borderline or a hypertensive patient, and there is a drop in systolic blood pressure after the completion of the treatment. The reason for this drop in blood pressure is, it's a, it's a simple logic. If you keep inflating and deflating the cup in the lower limb, and actually your lower limb constitutes 60% of your peripheral vascular resistance, which causes the increased blood pressure. So when you inflate and deflate in a cyclic manner for almost 35 days, what really happens is, because of the increased nitric oxide secretion from the endothelial cells, your blood vessel tends to dilate. And once your blood vessel dilates, there is a drop in the peripheral vascular resistance and the systolic pressure comes down. And, and, and this has been shown in many trials. So EECP has a very good effect on patients with hypertension. And I have already talked about uh, cholesterol and diabetes. So as a preventive tool, if you have any treatment modality, which can affect your cholesterol level, you can affect your blood sugar level, and you can affect your uh, pressure level, I think it could have a great potential in prevention. Yeah, it's, it's just a magnificent tool and virtually no side effects except for the cost and inconvenience, but it's not going to hurt you and harm you in any way, which is certainly can't be said or is it true of many of the conventional uh, treatment options. So <clears throat> I'm particularly curious also, you had mentioned that when you, the, the patient is on the ECP machine, that there's a compression of the blood vessels, obviously, in the venous system, but what about the lymphatic system? It would seem that would really flush out the lymphatics in the lower extremities. Yes, I, I see. Uh, whenever you do EECP, we have seen a lot of patients, they have edema. I mean, if you have a old patient or many patients, they come up with a peripheral edema. Uh, probably we don't know whether it is because of the venous insufficiency or the lymphatic or uh, what's happening. But always after EECP of 35 days, they always come and say that fetal edema is gone. So probably it's not only reverse flow of blood in the arterial system and the venous system, it also has some impact on the lymphatic, which has not been well studied. So probably it should be studied on what EECP affects on the lymphatic system. Yeah, it's it's a marvelous thing. And you know what? I also do a infrared sauna pretty much every day. And one of the recommendations for infrared sauna is to do dry brushing, which is supposed to stimulate the lymphatic system. But I think that's a far second choice compared to going out of the ECP machine. You really flush out your lymphatics with that. So another observation I've made personally on the machine, I've had almost 200 treatments now, um, is that I try to empty my bladder before I go on the machine. But even though I do that, I still Still, I mean, when I get off that thing, sometimes I have to stop the machine and empty my bladder because it just my bladder just fills up. And is that a common experience? And when, and, and why why is that? Why does that happen? Yes, I mean, uh, it's a common experience. And I usually say, if a patient wants to use a restroom often during the procedure, I would say their lower limbs vasculature is very good. The reason is. When you give this compression, I said like there is an increase in coronary perfusion pressure around 40%, which is top, it's a high up. And then there is a 20% increase in the cerebral perfusion pressure. But if you look at the renal, it's almost like 130 to 140% increase in blood flow. 
Oh, okay. Such amount of blood flow can be increased in your lower part of the body. And that's why what happens is your GFR, glomerular filtration rate, shoots up. And then your, uh, it, it increases your urine in the bladder, so you have to empty it often. And also, because it increases the blood flow into the pelvic area, it's been shown very effective in also patients with erectile dysfunction. Ah, oh, so much, much better than the Viagra or yeah. its clones. <laughs> I mean, you don't believe. There are people coming to our clinic, which we, we never even recommended. There are a lot of people coming from Middle East only for erectile dysfunction. Wow, I did not aware. You're just an amazing fountain of information there. So how, how about another indication that is a, a, an upcoming epidemic that we're having a tsunami of, and that is Alzheimer's. It would seem that there could be some benefit there from a similar mechanism. You're, you're increasing vascular flow to the brain, is, or is that a misconception? Yes, it's a very interesting question, and it has a great potential. For example, we have taken a lot of patients with uh, uh, dementia, uh, senile dementia, and when we do, maybe it's similar to Alzheimer's, when we do a MRI, they will see multiple foci ischemic area and the cerebral cortex. So this is because we don't know, maybe some microvascular disease or microvascular thrombi, which is causing multiple ischemic episodes, and that might lead to this disease. So when we do ECT, actually, as I said, 20% increase in the uh, cerebral perfusion pressure, and it increases the blood flow to the cerebral cortex also. And we have recorded a couple of patients who come up with dementia. So they are young people with 65, 66 years old. And they come and complain to us and said, like, uh, I'm a teacher. I used to teach a lot. Now I'm not able to recollect. And my teaching ability has significantly dropped down. And we did a 35 days of treatment. And we actually we, we asked them to take the MRI again. And the, the MRI shows there is an improvement on this multiple ischemic area on the brain. And the patient come back and said, doctor, I feel better. I mean, I said, I, I came from a cardiac disease too, but I feel better because now I'm able to teach and I can be able to remember much better than before. I think this gives, I mean, I mean to say it could be a treatment for uh, uh, senile dementia or Alzheimer's disease, we need a randomized trial. But I think our current uh, electoral report clearly says it has a great potential in these two patients. Okay, so it's it's another adjunctive treatment. Again, just like the treatment of heart disease or coronary artery disease, we would never recommend this as the magic bullet. But certainly, in conjunction with other effective, well-known strategies, and you know, I've interviewed Dr. Bredesen, the end, who wrote the book *The End of Alzheimer's* before, and he has a whole variety of approaches there. But this is one that he didn't cover and could be very useful, especially if you have any of the other diseases that we talked about. The primary one, of course, coronary artery disease. You know, so if your doctor or a friend of yours or a relative has been recommending that you get a bypass or an angioplasty or for God forbid a stent, then this is something you really should seriously consider. And, uh, you know, watch this interview a few times and look up other interviews online and information about ECP and, and seriously consider that as an, an alternative to the surgery. Uh, even if you have to pay for it out of pocket, it's going to be far, far better than subjecting yourself to surgery, which does nothing to treat the cause of it. At least the, this is addressing the physiological mechanisms and giving you not just one, but hundreds, or as Dr. Ramasamy said, millions of bypasses all over the place to the entire heart. And then erectile dysfunction, high blood pressure, diabetes, dementia. And are there any others that we're missing? 
See, I, I would explain EECT as a vascular reversal treatment. So anything which is related to vascular or blood flow, I think EECT can reverse it. I mean, as you, as you also said, it is like an aggressive exercise uh, on your vascular system. So any vascular disease usually responds to EECT. Yeah, and I get the one I forgot was peripheral uh, vascular disease or peripheral arterial disease, which, you know, can be very painful for many people. And there's not a lot of good approaches, especially if you're elderly uh, and not really a good surgical candidate. I mean, they can transplant the vessels, but that's not really a good solution. So why don't you just comment a bit on the treatment of this for peripheral arterial disease? Yes. Um, most of the patients who come in the peripheral vascular disease patients have a severe clarification pain. And thus the calf muscles is severe painful when they start walking because of the significant lack of blood flow to the skeletal muscle. So during EECP, as I said, EECP is not specific to any vessel. It's a, it's a vascular reversible treatment. So what happens is when you're pushing the blood so much in your uh, vasculature, especially in the peripheral vasculature, uh, I also said the decreased blood pressure is because of the vascular dilatation. So in this patient with peripheral vascular disease with clarification pain, when you apply EECP and if there is a reduction in the peripheral vascular resistance and also because of the compression, if you can able to promote a little bit of collaterals in the uh, lower limb and they can, they can improve their exercise tolerance. We have seen people who can able to walk only four to five minutes, can able to walk 15 minutes before they get the clarification pain. So basically it can able to prolong this threshold from like five minutes to 15 minutes or 20 minutes. So the patient has less painful episodes and they can able to walk more distance without getting that pain. Excellent. Now, uh, another emerging and becoming popular approach to heart disease is the use of stem cells. And what really intrigued me about ECP initially and was a primary motivation for me uh, engaging in therapy was some suggestion that it could actually increase cardiac stem cells just because of the mechanism, especially if you combine it with a, a near-infrared light source on the heart during the, the process. So can you comment on that? Yes, I think uh, stem cells is another field which is uh, expanding very fast. And uh, so one of the problems, there are a lot of trials done on stem cells. And one of the problems with the stem cell is the stem cell which you inject into the coronaries or into the vasculature, peripheral vasculature, somehow the cell which is supposed to be going to the myocardium and then start stimulating the angiogenesis, somewhat is not finding its way. We call it as a homing. Somehow, it is not able to form in, in the place where we want it to go on home. So it goes around in your body without going to be effective because unless it goes and attaches itself to the myocardium, it's not going to be effective. And many times, when you use stem cells in patients with heart failure, already patients are, uh, the, blood, uh, heart, the, the heart is pumping so bad, so the blood circulation across your body is very low. So when you push the stem cells, it's going to be running around, it's going to be circulating in a very, very low uh, blood pressure. So it might not be able to find a way. So during ECP, we can create a hyperdynamic circulation for the stem cells to reach the coronary artery. And second, there is a new concept they are talking in US, which is called a laser activated stem cells. So they are talking about somehow they will teach the stem cells through some laser signal that where it should go and uh, form itself. So if they stimulate the cardiac cell with laser, and the same laser is used to stimulate the stem cell, probably the stem cell can able to form into the myocardium, so it can able to be very effective to create the angiogenesis in the spot where it is supposed to be. 
i think combining eecp with stem cell could be the next future to improve this eecp indication into much further uh, other diseases also because eecp can create a hyperdynamic circulation which is required for the stem cell to reach wherever area it's supposed to be so it's it seems to be useful in conjunction with stem cell therapy but how about as a single modality where that's the only treatment uh has there been uh any observations or your impression that it actually increases stem cell activity and improves the heart and that mechanism by itself yes. without any 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 um either autologous or uh, other types of stem cell injections it's a very very interesting question because uh as i was talking that i was trying to uh, combine stem cell with eecp but eecp is the only treatment which can actually stimulate the stem cell within your body when this when the blood flow increases actually we have seen in patient with a uh, patient with ischemia when we do eecp naturally eecp has stimulated the stem cells into the circulation this is called cd34 cells the cd34 cells are epc endothelial progenitor cells are actually the, the cell which we are trying to uh, which artificially inject into the myocardium or coronary vessel to increase the circulation but during eecp this cell naturally increases and this is and also it's very significantly shown in the blood sample now it has two important impacts number one usually in patient with ischemia or a cardiovascular disease if the stem cell does not increase naturally into the blood circulation then they have a poor outcome because the body is not responding to the requirement for angiogenesis or support but in a patient with heart disease naturally the stem cell increases they have decrease out they have improved outcome in the cell they have might have a decreased myocardial infarction or death during ecp uh, the stem cell has been shown to be increased not only in the peripheral circulation and also into the coronary circulation so this shows eecp has some effect on the stem cells to naturally increase so it can able to promote what it is required which is called angiogenesis wow so that's great just like i suspected it it actually is a, uh, an effective alternative to stem cell injections which can be very costly if you haven't looked at them uh, most of the ranges are about 10 to 20,000 dollars for a stem cell treatment and you know the uh, average cost for ecp a, a course of ecp therapy is is about 5 uh so and both of the but frequently both of those approaches aren't covered by insurance so it's out of pocket expense but yeah. This has been magnificent. Are there any other comments you'd li like to make on the therapy? Yeah, and in the stem cell, I want to make another comment. See, the stem cell which has been increased during EECP as a natural stem cell within your body. So this stem cell have much higher uh, frequency of forming into the myocardium and stimulate angiogenesis rather than the stem cells you are injecting from the periphery or like a artificially done stem cell. So I think if you can able to form this natural stem cell, which has a much profound effect on the myocardial angiogenesis than the peripheral stem cell which has been injected. And uh, second, I want to conclude is now ECT in 2017. I think when we start the conversation, you mentioned it. Now in the management of chronic stable angina, it's become like so complex because what we believe could be the actually the best option, the stent, is up. Trying to show in multiple trials, I mean trial after trial, the stem, the stent or the drug-eluting stent has shown, or the angioplasty has shown in chronic stable angina cannot improve your quality of life, which is shown in orbital trials. 
it cannot improve your longevity or decrease your chances of death or decrease the chance of you getting a heart attack these have been proven by other uh, studies like mass barry tudi and courage so now right now you are in a area where we don't have a treatment other than medical management in patient with chronic stable angina so adding an angioplasty over an optimal medical management in chronic stable angina has failed it has no role because it cannot do whatever i said before so now ecp can be used because it's a safe it's non invasive it's effective and it has shown in randomized trial it can improve the quality of life so ecp has three important functions it can be initially as a primary treatment so if you have a diabetes or a hypertension or a hypercholesteremia you can take it as a preventive tool and improve your endothelial function to secrete more nitric oxide and restore your endothelial function to normal well if you don't use it as a preventive and then if you have a coronary artery disease and a chronic stable angina there also ecp play a major role because again it can improve your collateralization angiogenesis and can improve the blood supply to the ischemic area without manipulating your coronary artery by bypass and angioplasty this is the second and third again if you did a bypass and angioplasty and if you fail because of the graft occlusion or the stent restenosis which is very common and again ecp is the only option and finally the end stage you did all these things in spite of that your heart is not able to recover from the shock you got a mi and you go for a heart failure and again ecp play a major role so it's a spectrum of uh, indication from prevention to end stage i think ecp should be used more than what it has been practiced currently in us and india Sure. So we talked about the use of it for coronary artery disease in the scenario where an individual was given the diagnosis typically recently and offered the option of having a bypass or a, an angioplasty. But what about those? A far more common scenario, I believe, and I neglected to address this with you, is the fact that the person's had a heart attack or multiple heart attacks. And they, they haven't, in, uh, other than taking statins, that really undergone a surgical procedure. So what does it do for someone who's had a heart attack? Can, does it actually result? Obviously, it's going to increase the coronary collateral circulation. But will, will that ischemic dead cardiac tissue, will that recover? Does it ever, or does it just remain permanently dead? Yes. I mean, uh, when you have a heart attack, and what happens is it's an infarction, so your uh, heart muscle absolutely dies. There is no metabolic activity. And whenever there is a no metabolic activity, death happens in the myocardium. The surrounding myocardium is also suffering from ischemia. So ischemia is always associated with death. There is a death cell and there is a ischemia. So all your procedures, whether it is a bypass surgery or angioplasty or a EECP, can able to recover this ischemic cell back to normal but once the damage is permanent which is happening heart failure i think i don't think uh, ecp or any other intervention procedure can able to recover or reverse the uh, death cell so infarction it usually go for fibrosis and uh, it cannot be recovered okay but so but the ischemic cells that are surrounding infarction can recover recover yes okay well that's good to know because that's a large group of people. And then I would imagine somewhat like the brain, which has neuroplasticity. And previously, up until a few years ago, we didn't realize that it had that capacity. <clears throat> but there's these other 
you could have a, a stroke, which is also a brain infarct, where they actually have a similar scenario. We have brain cells that are actually dead and necrotic. But the, the neuroplasticity implies that the surrounding areas can take up the responsibilities for those damaged cells. So I suspect that there may be something similar going on in the heart where the, the surrounding tissue can compensate for the, the damage in dead tissue. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, uh, when you talk about uh, this heart failure and the myocardial infarction death, actually there is two ways to treat it. Now we all, we, right now we spoke only about the increasing the blood flow to the heart muscles for restoring the ischemic area to normal. But there is another way which EECP can do. What EECP can do is because it dilates the vessel, it takes the load off the heart. So the heart, which is supposed to be pumping harder to push the blood into the circulation, now doesn't have to pump that hard because your vasculature is all dilated. So basically, even with a damaged heart muscle, the heart can easily pump because it does not have to put that much effort as before. Because after your 35 days of EECP, you have dilated all the vessels. Okay, great. Well, uh, uh, any other insights that you'd like to share before we sign off? Well, so, we cover? Yeah, yeah I, th I think we covered most of them. So I want to thank you for your time with us. And I want to implore everyone watching this and, and remind them that cardiovascular disease still is the number one cause of death in the United States and in most developed countries in the world. So if uh, you or someone you love is in this scenario and you need to have an, uh, an effective strategy to, to overcome it, of course, you want to look at the dietary approaches first and exercise and lifestyle approaches that we talk about on the site. But if you need something rapidly and effectively to as an adjunct that could really and radically improve the, the mechanics and the whole recovery process, I couldn't recommend this highly enough. I'm absolutely excited to bring this information to you and implore you to, to to look at the links below in this article so that you can find a local center and get into treatment and and get your body repaired because the technology is, this didn't exist 25 years ago. When I went to school, when I graduated medical school, this stuff was still 15 years away from being brought to the public. So it's available now though, and you can you can have access to it. And it's uh, maybe a bit of a challenge if you live remotely, but if you're living in a large urban area, like many of you do, then it should be pretty easy to find. Thank you so much for staying up late because you're coming to us from India. So it's mm -hmm. past midnight over there. So we appreciate your your diligence and I apologize for disrupting your circadian rhythm cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. McCoy. It's a pleasure talking to you. It's a great discussion. Yes, I love it. Yes. Okay, really good.